Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and today we have an amazing episode, and we're going to have Chris Lowney joining us. And he's an author of Everyone Leads. He's, he's, he's an amazing speaker. Uh, he's, he's, uh, I'll hold it back. I'm holding it in. And instead, I'm going to throw it over and introduce the couple guys that are with me, including Father James Mallon. Good to see you. Hey, Dan. Good to be back. Uh, it's great. And also, Rob McDowell. It's also a pleasure to be with you today, buddy. It's great to be back, Dan. Now, Father James, uh, you're back from, from some travel, uh, and, and one of the places you were was actually not too far from here in Halifax. You found yourself in Montreal, Canada. That's right. A simple one-hour flight is really short. It's, isn't it? Yeah. That's what, actually my favorite flight that I ever get to take is the Montreal flight, because it's, it's super quick. Yeah, it was, a great, it was a great trip. Um, got to experience my first snowfall of the year in Montreal. Nice. Which very interesting, but it was great that actually the this arranged, this situation or this this decision yeah. to go to Montreal was made almost three years ago when Father Michael Leclerc <laughs> uh, came to Halifax to do a priest internship with us, a six-month internship. And part of that agreement was if, if Michael came, uh, then I would, I would speak. Two and a half conference. years later, you'd go to well, see Well, it was supposed to be <laughs> last year, I was, and they, can't, they, they canceled the event, they moved it or something oh, like I see. that. Okay. But it was a, a long time in the works, but it was, it was well worth it. it was, and Father Michael, like, just so people know who he is, he was a guy who came here, he's a priest, who came here for an internship. How long was he here in Halifax? He did a six-month internship experience, and he was our, if you don't count Father Simon, he was our kind of our, our first intern in, in that kind of way who, who, who came in. And... He had an, a phenomenal experience with us, and when I was when I was in Montreal, I, I got to spend time with them. I got to meet their their leadership team, their staff. I preached at his parish over the weekend, and I was able to witness a panel discussion of of Michael and his senior le- leadership team during the conference that I was now, speaking. Now, at. before he came here, just help, I want to put this in time. Before he came here, was he? Did he have a senior leadership? No, team no, he parish? didn't have anything like that. No, but, but he was a, he was a pastor though. He, he was he was, he was, a, he was a parish priest. Uh, Father Michael, yeah. I, Basically, the one one of the things I heard a lot when I was there it, are, are were parishioners and brother priests saying to him, "When you came back from Halifax, you were a different man. You you had changed." And he he in, in his own words, he came back from here not only uh, with a sense of what could be possible and what can be possible, but uh, spiritually he was renewed as well. And the one thing that that I'll say that I that I really witnessed in in his parish was was that you know they're. they're executing on all the principles that we speak on. You know, they've, they've put evangelization at, at the heart of what they do. They're hmm. running alpha. Lives are being transformed. Uh, they're leaning into leadership and the, all, the, all, all the principles that we speak about. But the one thing that stood out for me is that, is that there's, God is at work here. Like there's something happening in that parish that cannot be explained. I mean, it should be like that in every church, shouldn't it? I mean, that, that seems so strange to say that this is such an exception, but, but it's, it's very tangible. Uh, for instance, the, the final mass on, on the weekend, there was about 400, 450 people. And I have to say, it's, the, it's probably the youngest Catholic congregation I've ever seen anywhere. What? Probably average age of early 40s. This is in Montreal. In Montreal. I mean, Canada is a very secular country. Uh, Quebec is a very secular province. Montreal is a very secular mm. city in that province, in that country. So it's quite remarkable uh, what, what is happening there. I think, you know, when I think back when uh, Father Mike was with us too, one of the things that we keep pushing back is, you know, what people sometimes refer to as the trait theory of leadership is the idea that you have to, a good leader is a certain personality type. 
you know, and you know, you're very gifted in uh, a lot of areas in what you do. And so often people like, well, you know, I'm not father James, you know, I don't have a St. Benedict parish. I don't like, 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 like God just all of a sudden ordained all this stuff in your life, you know, for, to make it happen. Right. And I, I don't know as if there's anyone, I mean, Michael, father Michael is always very gifted, but I don't know anyone that's probably any more of an opposite personality than you are. And there was a key moment in, in the conference because I gave a talk on the Saturday morning and, and then they had Father Michael and his leadership team up on the stage and a couple of people from the diocese were asking questions. And what was so wonderful about what happened was not just what they said or how they said it, um, but everything about it, they, they, they communicated the values of, of t- teamwork. And one of the things that Michael said was, you know, I, I'm very different than, than Father James. Uh, I mean, we are very, very di- different, but it's that principle if, like, no one has all the gifts. You know, I, I mm. like to say that by myself, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a train wreck, not, not a bit, a lot of a train wreck. Because <laughs> by myself, if, if, if I'm not, you know, pulled back, I, I drive things until they all blow up. And everyone, you know, I usually, my, my leadership in the past I always came with a high body count. And so the reason why... My ministry has been so fruitful is precisely because I came to grips with the fact that I that I may have these gifts, but there's a whole bunch of gifts that I don't have. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for every person. And what they're witnessing uh, or what, what they're living so in, in such a beautiful way is that is that sense of teamwork. And Michael has a, he's an amazing team, like mm-hmm. is an incredible group of people who have come around him. And God seems to be bringing people into that parish. Here's the other thing, too. People have gotten on board with it because he's he's cast a vision. Yeah. The, he returned to Montreal with a with a vision burning in his heart, and and he communicated that vision. And people said, "Okay, I, I want to be part of this." Yeah. And so people and resources have come, come his way, and he's building staff teams. And uh, it's incredible what 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 they've done in two years. Amazing. Mm, that's so exciting. Uh, so, Father James, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, something else because you got me thinking a bit, and. Uh, and, and just, I think Rob, you said something about leading and leading up, and the, your role is, is interesting with 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 the diocese because you've got your your role, Episcopal vicar of parish renewal and leadership support. Can we put that on your on your lower third? Is <laughs> one of the parishioners at Saint Benedict says Episcopal vicar of something something <laughs> of something uh, something. I like that title. So you, you, your own leadership style must have must continue to evolve, and 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 because you find yourself in, in involving in different circumstances, help me understand what that looks like. Yeah, it's a bit like being a an associate pastor again, you know, you've got, I may have a particular vision or idea and, and it's, it's really about influencing the person in, in leadership, whether that be the bishop and his team, uh, whether that be here at this ministry, because the curious thing is that, is that right now I'm not, um, you know, the principal leader in any of the ministries that I'm involved in, which I'm, I'm quite enjoying that. It, it is, you know, so, so, but all of the ministries that we're in are all team-based. So there, mm-hmm. there's a share in that, in that leadership. Uh, but it, it is, it is quite different. Um, sometimes there's a, there's a give and take, you know, you can't, you know, it wouldn't, it might not go through the way that, that, that it would if I was in the principal role of leading. Uh, so let me ask you this question, because I know a lot of people who would be listening. Yes, we have a lot of pastors or parish priests that, that listen, but we'd also have a lot of lay leaders and other people, senior, senior leadership team members. Now you've got an interesting perspective because you're, you've been for a while now, you've been in this role of, of, of not being the, the, the pastor at St. Benedict Parish. And so help me understand, like, what, what kind of advice might you give to people who are in those roles, who have, have a leadership, both a desire and a drive? Like, how would you, how would you coach them or advise them as they look to ex- express their leadership in those positions? First of all, I think the person who's in that leadership role, the first, the first challenge is you, 
is that you have to love and support that person. You've got to be in relationship with that person. So it's not, you know, that you know, you're you're constantly criticizing or finding fault, but you you really come alongside and 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 love that 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 person. And then in a sense you have the right to kind of speak into difficult situations and to give advice. Um, so you also get to kind of live out the, the, the values and, and principles that, that, that we desire to see in the overall organization within your sp- sp- specific area of influence as well. Um, so th- th- I think sometimes we can, we can be very critical, um, especially if things aren't going um, as quickly as we'd like to see them or you know, in the way that we would like to see them. But I think that you know, having the foundation of a, of a healthy relationship is, is primary. The good thing is, at least in the ministry side, we move pretty quickly. <laughs> So you, you're, probably, you're probably really relaxed there in, the, in that regard. Well, it, it's funny sitting here thinking because uh, through the, the different scenarios, because, you know, I was on the senior leadership team when you were the pastor. Now I'm here and there are projects and things that I report to you on. I still don't know who my boss is here, but uh, but there are times when, when I report to you and, and the nature of the relationship and how you communicate to different people around different things and different values. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's interesting to try and think think in terms of how you do lead up. Uh, you know, having spent the majority of my career uh, not leading necessarily organizations, but being in leadership positions and having to influence the people above you and what that looks like. It's it's interesting, the different personalities, different values and what that looks like. So, Rob, one of the, you said something to me this morning that got me thinking. We didn't have a chance to, to dig into it, but you were talking about the difference between leading out of the flesh and, and leading out of the spirit. Why don't you, could you share with me what was on your mind? Yeah, I... I consider myself a bit of a student of leadership and uh, love learning about it. And there seems to be this tension in the church so often, and it it's, it's, tends to be this all or nothing of, of how we grow as leaders, right? And today we've got an amazing amount of um, books on leadership and studies and research and things like that. And so often in the church, you, you'll hear people say, oh, we shouldn't bring any of that uh, modern thinking into the church, or we shouldn't bring any of that secular thinking into the church, or we shouldn't bring, you're right. And yeah, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a load of BS, people say, a load of business stuff. Yeah, you know, and so, and, and but I was just kind of processing this week because, yeah, like I think there is a place where we can just put our hope in the latest management theory, uh, the latest idea, the latest research study, whatever that, whatever that looks like. But so I'm wrestling with the idea, what does it look like to still lead from a place of the spirit, but allow that stuff to influence you. Cause, cause I think you can, you can uh, lead all from that and not have any sense of the spirit's guiding. And the fact that, yeah, we are, are the nature of our leadership should be different than a secular world, but yet at the same time, understanding is there, is there truth in that? Is there stuff that we can learn from that, that can be helpful for us and not, and not, lead us but influence us yeah, from I, that standpoint i th- think sometimes in the church there's a temptation to over spiritualize uh as if the answer to the present challenges is sim- simply uh, to pray more no I, I think that's a good strategy it's mm-hmm. a good starting point but um uh, we, we you know saint, saint augustine said pray as if everything depends on god and work as if everything depends on you so it's not enough just to pray more um and we also remember that our our Christian anthropology states that the grace builds on nature. So it's not even nature and grace. It's grace builds on na- nature. It doesn't replace it. It perfects it. And so just as we can learn from any other discipline like psychology or sociology, the discipline of leadership and all of the learning that's out there is totally applicable. And so I think that's, I, I would say there's more of a bias today in the church in many places against learning from from. Uh, 
from secular sources in, in this area. I think, too, it, that, that theology that some people put forward, it unmasks uh, perhaps a fear. Because when you, you start admitting that, that leadership is something that you can learn and grow in, that uh, makes you accountable. It's just like people don't want mm. to measure things. They don't want, they, you know, they, we don't want to set goals. We don't want to create a strategic plan because it holds us accountable to something. And so it's much easier to just spiritualize and say, oh, it's all, it's all mysterious. It's all invisible. It's all God's ways are not our ways, and which is all true, yeah. but it's incarnated in, in our present reality. Well, what I found funny around this topic one time I was driving to a, a conference with someone that was a pastor of a church and it was interesting on the drive there he said uh, he said oh he said we've just driven the spirit out of the church today we, we we care more about marketing and advertising and promotion and all that sort of stuff and he kind of you know he kind of went on his rant it was funny it was one day conference we were driving back that same day driving back it was interesting the conversations went in a completely different way but it was funny. He said, yeah, we really need to update our website. Like our, our, our website does not give a great first impression. And it was funny how he didn't connect those two parts of the conversation to where <laughs> on one side he thought marketing and promotion was a bad thing. And then on the other conversation, he wanted to update his website so that he could give a better first impression to people that came to his website. Right. <laughs> and he didn't connect those two thoughts. Right. Well, is it wrong and sinful to have a good website and, you know, and, and want to make a good first impression with people? I guess I'm going to cut us off here because I think we're, we've been talking about some really interesting topics, but I know the person who that we're bringing on would actually be an amazing voice to have part of these conversations. So, so we'll, we'll take a brief break and we'll be right back. Welcome to the show, Chris Lowney. It is such a pleasure to have you with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the chance. Now, where, where are you joining us from today, Chris? From the beautiful Bronx. Oh, wonderful. Uh, a, a part of the Bronx called Riverdale, right along the Hudson River here. Uh, so I'm sure some of your folks remember Sully Sullenberger, who mm -hmm. planted that plane in the Hudson River, came right outside my window. If I'd been wow. sitting here looking for a plane to go by, I could have seen it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Chris, I, I'm, I'm so excited to, to have you on. We're, we're so excited to have you on the show, not just me. All three of us are excited to spend some time with you today. Uh, but you're, you're the author of a number of books, uh, one of which I know is one of Father James Mallon's favorite books. I just think of it as Everyone Leads. That's, uh, that, that's sort of the, the way we talk about it around these parts. But it, it was a, it's a great book, and it's part of a, a number of books you've written. But, Chris, help me understand who you are, some of your, your journey. The short version of my life is I grew up in uh, Queens near the airports there in New York. Uh, I went to a high school of the Jesuits and uh, was a Jesuit for a few years, a seminarian after high school. That was kind of the end of the era when folks often entered after high school. Now that's not that common. Um, and after I uh, discerned that my vocation in life was not as a priest, I did uh, what anybody would do after leaving seminary. Uh, go to work at the investment bank of J.P. Morgan. Um, <laughs> and I, um, I ended up working at Morgan for about 17 years, and I was uh, lucky enough to be a managing director in uh, Japan and Singapore, London and New York. So I saw different kinds of things in life. And I left Morgan about 2001, and since then I've been writing um, and doing leadership talks and, and often serving on boards of charities, often Catholic charities, but not also always. And, um, you know, most of what I've written uh, has been in one way or another, <clears throat> trying to take principles um, 
that might be spiritual principles, Christian values, Catholic values, and uh, and right things for folks who might be leading families, leading businesses, leading corporations. Uh, and the book that we're mostly going to talk about is, in a way, exactly the flip side of that. It's the only thing I've written that that kind of invites folks in uh, churches and Christian communities and Catholic life to think about what we all might learn uh, from the uh, world of business and uh, popular culture and how folks are managing to be successful in uh, all kinds of walks of life. So, so Chris, what fascinates me is is this transition you had between uh, you know Jesuit seminarian experience and and then into the, into the private sector at, at J.P. Morgan. Help me understand what that was like, and, and what were you able to draw from your experience as in, in your formation into the private sector? What was it like? That, that's your uh, polite Canadian way of saying how the heck is it that you went from a uh, help others profession to a help yourself profession? <laughs> Maybe something like that. Um, so, you know, I mean, a lot of times when folks uh, are, are curious about that kind of uh, thing, what is somewhere way in the back of their mind is, oh, you know, I mean, investment banking is filled with crooks and, you know, this guy was in a seminary and now he's with all these bandits. And, you know, I have to tell you quite honestly, um, my experience was a little bit the opposite. You know, I worked with uh, very principled folks for the most part. And in a way, the thing that most made me reflect on was... Um, that I was always, almost always, the most ethically educated person in the room, you know, the one who had been in a seminary, studied philosophy, so on. But rarely would I be able to call myself the most morally courageous person mm-hmm. in the room, you know, the one who said, mm-hmm. no, we shouldn't do that, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, it, it kind of makes me think, and in a way, maybe it's an invitation for all of us to think as, as Christians, Catholics, you know, there's a difference between uh, I know what's the right thing to do and I'm brave enough to do the right thing in the different situations life brings me. Um, so, you know, that aspect of it was not the jarring in the, in the way folks might assume what, uh, you know, was difficult for me, which may or may not be relevant to some folks watching with us is, um, the socioeconomic side of it. You know, I grew up kind of on the streets in Queens and at that time, JP Morgan was a real waspy place, kind of the American version of nobility. And, um, it took a while for for me to believe that I uh, had value to contribute there. And, um, you know, I suppose we could extract a spiritual uh, a reflection out of that as well. You know, that wherever we're, whether we're in a family, sitting in a church, in a big company, uh, we believe that we're gifted people and that uh, we should be using our gifts. And sometimes the big obstacle to folks using their gifts well is just their willingness and ability to believe, yes, I have gifts and talents, and however I understand that word, I've been called to contribute, and uh, and I'm gifted, and therefore I go and I'm able to use my gifts to their utmost. So, that I mean, that's my two cents on what that transition was like. You know, Father James, something Chris is saying is reminding me of what, what you said earlier uh, in this episode when you talked about the BS stuff, the business uh, stuff, BS. And, and so, uh, you know... <sighs> There's this this distinction that we, we sometimes make between the business world and the, and the spiritual to the faith world. And and what I love about Chris's personal story, his personal journey, uh, is that he he crosses those very very intentionally. But could you speak to like, oh, are, are, how divided are those two things, the business and the world and, and the spirit? Well, I think this is the whole call of baptism. Remember, the, the the call of the baptized is to be in the world, not to not to go work for churches. I mean, some 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 lay people do it, but the mission of the baptized is to be in the world and to and to influence the world uh, 
to build up the kingdom of God. And so we, if, if our starting point is that the world is totally corrupt and to- totally bad, I think we're going to miss not only opportunities, but we're going to miss what the Lord is already doing in that place. And, and you know, whether it's these people in, 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 in the business world who are leading in a courageous way, I mean, whether, whether they believe in God or not, uh, the, the God is somehow at work in their lives it in that place. Yeah. And I think along, alongside of that too, is I think you can, you, we can sit down and make the think through, okay, well, I need to be careful about this decision because does God want me to do something vocationally, professionally? And then if not, okay, well then it doesn't matter and I can do whatever I want. And yeah. cause God won't really care. You know, God cares about the decision, whether we're, you know, serving him full time or not, but after that, it doesn't matter. Right. And I think we can downplay our roles regardless of however high profile or low profile they may be. So, so Chris, one of the things I find interesting about your story, you spent time at J.P. Morgan, and, and then somehow you ended up writing all sorts of books, including one that, that has, has had a, a, an impact. It's had an impact on us here at Divine Renovation, um, but it's had an impact far beyond that. Uh, everyone leads. What, what's that transition like? I mean, from, from that investment banking experience to, to, to finding yourself writing a book that's actually having an impact on, on the Catholic Church. So I, as we said, I, I worked at J.P. Morgan about 17 years, and you know, I always had a, a, a deal with myself. I guess that at a certain point, I would think about moving on to a next chapter in life, and that was for all kinds of reasons. You know, probably if I thought I I was going to be chairman of J.P. Morgan in five years, I would have stuck around a little longer. You know, so part of it is calculus, but you know, a, a big part of it was um, is how do you feel good about your life at the end of the day. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with working in a big company at all. And I believe that, uh, you know, companies run well in the world, uh, make a contribution to building up uh, society in an important way. But, you know, I mean, I, I never kind of sat there and felt like, okay, I'm making a contribution the same way as a nurse or a teacher or something like mm-hmm. that. So, uh, you know, to me, an issue was if I'm 70 years old and this is the only thing I've done with my life, I don't think I'm going to feel very good. So that, that was always somewhere in mind. And um, the first thing I wrote, uh, Heroic Leadership, probably has done best of the things I've written, in a way took lessons from the early Jesuits uh, and and kind of translated it into a language that I was thinking of folks who, were, who worked with me at J.P. Morgan, Muslim, Christian, Jew, atheist, some Catholic, Christian. Uh, you know, could could I kind of translate values that for Jesuits or for a lot of us would have very deep religious roots into a language that would be meaningful to folks in you know whatever is their uh, belief system? And yeah, you know, I thought that maybe in a way that was a cheaper way of figuring out my own life than going into therapy, you know, having been a Jesuit and then working in a bank. Um, uh, but anyway, you know, I thought it'd be fun to do. So I wrote that and it did fairly well. And, you know, life kind of took its course. I didn't have a master plan for my life. I enjoyed writing. Can, can I slow um, you down there? Because I think there's, you, you, yeah. you're going so fast through it, but I think there's something fascinating in what you just shared is that you took the, 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 your, you took the, the, the ancient knowledge, if you will, and I know ancient's not the right word because it's not that long ago, but you took older knowledge, older experiences from your Jesuit training, and, and you were able to, to uh, convert it into language that, that would, would rest with a, a broader audience. And I, it, It's so much of what we, we write around business language or what, what's written about business language is often uh, seen as being nouveau. It's, it's seen as being uh, fresh, but it's, it seems to me, though, that you identified that you know, it's, it's old wisdom that, 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 that translates in. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think in a way, you know, it relates to um, it relates to the one of the discussions you you guys were having before I joined. You know, um, and I mean, I guess I might put it this way that I I feel like there's a you know we tend to have a, a kind of a split life disease a lot. Uh, you know, religious people like in other words, I go to church on Sunday and then I go to work on Monday. Those two things don't really have much to do with each other, and I guess I feel like they well they have everything to do with each other, both ways. Yep. You know, uh, and you know either the incarnation it was like a um, was like a kind of a uh, a sort of a make-believe metaphor, yeah. or it actually means something. You know, I, I mean, the the idea of being part of an incarnational faith, the fact that that God actually was a human being, walked around, did something, met other people, that either means everything for us or means nothing, you know? And, and so this idea of trying to understand how we work our way through the world, I, I feel like is what you're getting at. And yes, to come to the exact question you asked, I feel like there's a lot of great wisdom in our, you know, our beliefs, our religious traditions, uh, some of the charismas of the different religious orders that's very relevant to, for example, being a successful organization, successful family, so on. Um, and likewise, I feel like some of the ways that organizations have discovered to be successful uh, have a lot of relevance and interest and value to those of us who are trying to run churches. I'm on the board of a Catholic hospital system to those of us who are trying to do that and, and so on, you know? Um, I mean, of course, at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the point is not to me, uh, well, is this an idea that some guy sitting at, uh, Air Canada or General Electric or J.P. Morgan came up with. You know, right. the idea is, is it a good idea? And importantly, um, you know, our touchstones are our faith and the, the the gospels and and our church. And can, does it is it consistent with our touchstone, our true north, our compass? This this kind of thing, you know. So, you know, in the book we're going to chat about, uh, I, I use some language that would not be churchy kind of language, but I try to make a point with every principle. If I can't relate this to Acts or the Gospels or, or so on, then we have to toss it out. You know, so that that's going to be our way of mm. of kind of proof testing. Yeah, this is something that is consistent with the way our tradition invites us to do things, and and therefore it's okay for us to think about and maybe even learn from. Now, Chris, when you start when you started talking about that that uh, that split personality, that double life, Father James, just you, you started nodding, going, "Oh, did you want to touch on that at all?" Because you were like, when when Chris was talking about well, that, well, I, I think it goes to the heart of mission, that doesn't it? And I, I often struggle with the fact that for for many Christians, it's almost like we're, we've become almost Gnostics or or Manichees, you know, like Manichaeism. It was a sense that God would would never uh, infect himself by by becoming human. You know, the incarnation mm. was the greatest scandal, uh, and yet. The scripture tells us that Jesus pitched his tent amongst us. I mean, he he took flesh. He he didn't deem equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself, and and the very 
manner, the, the, the missionary disposition of God and the, the, the mode of being missionary uh, that, that the incarnation represents is exactly what the church is called to do. As Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And that means we've got to pitch our tent amongst the people in this world. And sometimes the, it, as believers, we can sit back and we can point, we can read the newspaper and, and point out how, how pathetic the world is. And look at, look at this world. It's so terrible and pathetic. Aren't, the, aren't those people pathetic? And and, you know, we sometimes lose touch with the fact that, yeah, I'd be pretty pathetic, too, if the Lord wasn't at work in my life. And yet this is the world we're called to love and we're called to engage. And, and, and the Lord is already at work in some way, but that's the world that we're called to pitch our tent in. And sometimes in the church, there's this sense that, that, that the primary task is to protect the purity of the church. So let's, let's retreat to, a, to an island and pull up the drawbridge and build high walls and keep everyone out. And it's the exact opposite of what we're called to be as a missionary church. Mm. I think there's a lot of, uh, my mind's going multiple different ways, but thinking in terms as well is because, again, we talk a lot about discipleship and we promote a lot of things from Alpha Connect groups, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think we can sometimes carry that 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 Sunday workday di- dichotomy that Chris referenced around the idea, too, of, okay, I work is what I have to do to pay the bills. And then, but when I grow spiritually, it's at my connect group or Bible study or, and, and we don't see work as the lens of discipleship or the lens of mission. And, you know, what would it look like? How could that, that change all of a sudden that 40, 50, 60, depending on what people's work week is, is that's the context. That's one of the contexts that God is going to grow me up in. That's one of the contexts that God's going to use me. And that's one of the, the contexts that, that's highly intentional. It's not that this is just this sort of necessary thing to pay the bills so I can eat, so I can retreat to my connect group or Bible study for a few hours each month. And that's where I grow. That's right. Yeah, I think, uh, Chris, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on how this relates to, to culture and, and even what your perspective is on, on, on culture and how these two things interplay. Yeah, culture in the church or culture at large? Culture at large. Culture at yeah. large, yeah. Okay, so I mean, maybe culture at large first. Um, you know, I resonate with this discussion you're just having now. And I mean, maybe I, I would put it this way, um, that, uh, you know, Canada, United States, pretty secular uh, business cultures right now. Uh, the idea that in a J.P. Morgan office, I would talk to somebody in a very explicit way about what I believe and why generally is not going to fly. But uh, I think the way we might put the question to those of us who are working in those kind of environments is if somebody, maybe two ways. One, if somebody uh, who didn't know your religious background found it out, would they say, oh, wow, I want some of what that person has? Or, you know, I, I you know, uh, now I get it. You know, I, I see the way they operate. I see the way they coach and mentor people. I see what they stand for. I see what they're doing when they're not in work. And now I understand why they uh, are who they are, you know. Um, so, you know, wh- whether or not we're in a context where we can very explicitly talk about who we believe in and why, uh, you know, the behaviors should really be making some kind of a case, you know, or else we're, or else we're falling down. Um, and also, I might say, you know, um, you know, we, we mention, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the idea of uh, I go to work and, and that's how I get money when I then go off to my uh, prayer group. And, you know, to me, I always thought at JP Moore, you know, it would be interesting if I could have 
uh, you know, often we're sort of closeted in these big companies and you kind of, there's a lot of people wandering around who have the same beliefs you do, but you kind of never get to know. And I've sometimes thought a really helpful thing that, uh, you know, the, the church world could, you know, one of my, the points I write about is for the biggest network in the world on paper, the Catholic church, we're incredibly poorly networked. I mean, it's, it's pathetic, frankly. And among many, many ways we could be an effective network is to help Chris understand, oh, gee, Chris, did you happen to know that there are another 15 people working in JP Morgan who are very active believers also? And and the point is not, let's kind of make a little interest group, uh, you know, and Mm. fight and politically support each other in JP Morgan. That's in no way my point. Rather, Maybe we would like to know each other and occasionally pray together and chew over some of the issues that we face. You know, I, I mean, there are all kinds of uh, ways in which I, I feel like our network is very, very much un, under leveraged, you know, both for the benefit of the church, but for the benefit of uh, those who are working in the world. Chris, can I, can I just like to j- jump in and, and, and go bring the discussion back to the book, that the, the first book of yours that I read that, that, uh, that I really loved, and that's Everyone Leads. With the subtitle, How to Revitalize the Catholic Church, obviously um, the, the beginning premise is that there is a lack of vitality. Uh, I take it you're not content with the way things are, and I think uh, if we're ever going to lead anything or influence anything, it, it begins with a healthy sense of discontent about the status quo. Tell us a little bit about your discontent. So, uh, first of all, what you say is, is totally right. Uh, I mean, it's folk would probably gather from context I'm a uh, you know I'm a lifelong Catholic I, I hope I'm devout I'm certainly trying to be um, and a great believer in in what we can bring to the world so now let's push that aside you know the first draft of everyone leads you're, you're familiar with the book and and some others are the way the book looks now there's a chapter or so that talks about some of our challenges which I describe as the church's greatest crisis in five centuries. And one of the things that's been disappointing to me in a weird way is nobody has chosen to argue with that. You know, so <laughs> people either either say, yeah, you know, we got a lot of problems, or they don't care enough to mm-hmm. say, no, wait a minute, here's my uh, counter case. Any, in any case, that's uh, about a chapter, and then there's a... A uh, number of of chapters that are a prescription. What we could do about it. And the first draft I wrote of the book, the problem stuff was almost half the book. Realized mm-hmm. in a way, I wanted to punch somebody in the nose. You know, I was <laughs> kind of unhappy and angry. And you know, a question I had to ask myself is, well, what do you really want to do here? You know, are you trying to get something off your chest, or do you want to make a constructive contribution? And so, the final draft of the book is much more about what we can do together and and more hopeful. But now, having said that, I do think it's very important in this case to start with the problem, you know, and that comes a little bit from my, uh, and that comes a little bit from my JP Morgan life. You know, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but in corporate life was a bit of a disciple of a guy named Lou Gerstner who helped to turn around IBM. And one of his, uh, one of his comments that, that really made a, an impact on me was that organization, I'm paraphrasing, but organizations uh, won't change unless they feel a sense of real crisis and urgency, that, that, that uh, their, their future is, is endangered. And, you know, 
I've found that to be very true and I've worked in a lot of settings. And of course the Catholic church is a divine entity, but we're all human beings. And it's also a human institution, you know, in, in terms of the worked out in the world. And therefore, the way human beings are uh, has a great impact on our success or lack thereof in uh, helping Jesus uh, build his uh, God's kingdom in the world. And, um, you know, it strikes me that that for a lot of people, the predicate to change is only, look, I'm sorry, this is not going to work. And it, it and there uh, there are many lots of different facts we could talk about. You know, I among the things I talked about in the book are the, um, uh, for example, uh, the the uh, horrific lack of interest in the church and organized religion among young adults, uh, youth. If you project forward a couple of uh, uh, generations, it's a beyond dire situation you know when these cohorts age and uh you know the more faithful older cohorts uh, age out our incredible inability to attract uh, folks to us you know pew in the united states does very interesting research across denominations of the uh number of converts in to converts out so to speak and right now in the united states i don't know about other countries in the united states we're attracting one adult convert for every six who transfer to other religious denominations. And, you know, we could go on. So to me, there's, there's a, uh, you know, a, a really dire set of circumstances. Uh, I think it's uh, at, at great crisis proportions. And to me, that's the predicate to, to say to folks, look, you know, a lot of us uh, value deeply what we've gotten from this institution. Uh, you know, it's been life-giving for a lot of us and we care about it. And we don't want to see it, uh, you know, dwindle to insignificance in the lives of our grandchildren. Mm. And if you, if if that's true, then I'm sorry, uh, you need to step up. So, Chris, you, you know, we I, can't look around and say it's father's fault or this person's fault yeah. or that person's problem. It, that's that's not going to get it done. So, Chrissy, you've spoken right into I think some of the key issues uh, in your book and and, and here, uh, but you're not you're not a you. You have hope, right? You, you, you have hope for what the future might hold as related to the church. Help me understand, like, what does that perspective look like? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of hope, actually, because, uh, I mean, you, you know, you were, you were chatting a little bit about uh, uh, the turnaround or uh, vitality of a parish in Montreal that I think you were visiting recently, Father. And, uh, you know, you see in a lot of cases... Um, you know, it's not like uh, you need St. Paul himself to show up. And, you know, it's not like you need the Barack Obama of pastors. Uh, you know, a lot of these things often boil down to blocking and tackling, to, to use an American phrase. In other words, uh, if, 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 if there are a number of steps that if you put them in place, uh, you know, not always, but often can generate results. And we have lots and lots and lots of uh, examples of, of places where there are vitality, places that have turned around. So, you know, to me, it, that's, that's the most hopeful kind of story in the world. Now, having said that, to me, the big stumbling block is not we can't dream up any processes that will help. The big stumbling block is culture. 
and again, I go back to my organizational corporate life. You know, one of the great mantras of of organizational life is uh, culture eats strategy for lunch. Yeah. In other words, you can mail somebody a copy of Divine Renovation or, you know, some good-hearted uh, priest, pastor, or some good-hearted parish council can have a couple of good process ideas. But if you don't have a culture of folks who are able to, in my language, lead, lead, not going to work, you know. And so for me, the hope is, yeah, there are lots of things you could do that will, that will make things better. The challenge is how do we change culture? You know, how do we get enough of a critical mass of folks engaged in the right ways that they're going to want to uh, do some of the things that, that we know work? Yeah, I, I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right, right on there. And, and you know, there, there was so much you said there. Go back to the discussion about Father Michael and his parish in, in, in Montreal. What I think brought me so much joy last weekend as I listened to them is that it, it really confirmed that th- this idea that, that you don't need to be a particular kind of personality or have a, be in a particular place, but there are actual principles and values that if you actually live out these values instead of just talking about them, and if you engage certain principles, it, it will shift your parish in the right direction. It will move, and, and that movement may happen in, in, at a different pace from place to place, but it will move in the right direction. And that organizational shift is, is the number one task of parish renewal. Uh, Chris, you know, you, you, I'm sure, dream about a, a particular local church, a parish, or the universal church, you know, growing and being what it can be if everyone accepted the call of their baptism. And that was one of the things that really, you know... For a long time, I had been, you know, speaking to priests about, you know, leadership is is intrinsic to priesthood because we're ordained to be a prophet, priest, king. And and then reading your book, it was like, oh, man, I've been so dumb. Like, before we're ordained to be prophet, priest, and king, we're baptized to be prophet, priest, and king. The, the primary sacrament of, of, bap- of leadership is not ordination, it's baptism. And, and it's a baptismal obligation to, to consciously accept uh, the role that you have, the call that you have to, to influence the world. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I couldn't add a thing to, to what you just said. Uh, you know, to me, that would be the first stake in the ground. You know, when I, when I, use, I use the word leadership, and a lot of people tend to think about uh, leadership only in a positional sense. Yes. No, that's why we have a pope, a bishop, a pastor. That's what leadership is. But the idea of le- there's also leadership in a behavioral sense. You know, that doesn't primarily have to have to do with what's my role. Rather, how do I behave? And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But people's first hang-up is usually, no, wait a minute, this guy doesn't understand hierarchy in the Catholic Church and so on. And I feel like, no, 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 I understand it very well. I understand that I was baptized and this is what my catechism says it means. And if words like priest, prophet, and king don't imply leadership somehow, then once again, either our words are totally meaningless metaphorical jokes Mm -hmm. or they really have substance. You know, the other way I talk about it is that, you know, we use to, for us, I think as Catholics, as Christians, leadership would be a kind of a paradoxical idea maybe because we use words like, uh, vocation disciple, and the roots of those words somehow are following. You know, like if I call, voco is called, if I call you, come to me, so you're following me. But our words also use words like apostle and mission. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, the language roots of those words mean exactly the opposite. Missio is I send. So if I send you, you're not following anybody. You know, you're out there. So there too, you know, our our call somehow involves followership, of course, of Jesus and uh, our tradition in the church, but also apostleship, you know, missio, sendness, leading. So to me, the only issue is how now do we translate that to real life? You know, what? Do, how does that work its way out in the parish or the family or wherever we work? And, uh, you know, to use an organizational analogy, what I, <clears throat> what I sometimes say is this, you know, look, in my time at J.P. Morgan, our problems and challenges multiplied. The business became much more complex. There were many more uh, customers that needed attention. Uh, things changed too rapidly. And we quite clearly and uh, came to an understanding that this very antiquated notion of leadership that like four people in a corner office, we're going to figure everything out, mm. represent us everywhere we need to be represented was total nonsense. Mm. And to me, that analogy is not every bit as true. It's more true in the life of our church because our challenges also have multiplied. How do we figure out what to do, what to do with social media? How do we engage young people? How do we go after these folks who you know used to come to church but no longer do? How do we attend to new migrants who come into you know the the challenges and opportunities have multiplied? But worse than secular places like J.P. Morgan, what we've traditionally thought of as those four people in the corner office that cohort is shrinking rapidly. In other words, we tended to rely on the ordained clergy to be the team that would sort of show the leadership behaviors. And there's absolutely no way in the world that's going to cut it, you know, given the array of challenges we face and the kinds of expertise that uh, many of our ordained uh, pastors do and don't have. That's not a statement uh, of, of criticism to say that a guy who went to theology school might not necessarily understand how to use 3D social media, you know? Why, why in the world would that person uh, understand it? But somebody's got to know how to do it if we're going to be, if we're going to thrive in, in the way that we all want to as a church in this century. Chris, you uh, referenced earlier the idea of we kind of have this idea, I can't lead, I'm not a priest or whatever the case is. So there's, there's kind of that um, fundamental piece. What else is holding people back from stepping into leadership today in the Catholic Church? Maybe at the highest level, I'd say call an opportunity. So, the first, so to me, the first thing is that the Father James of the world or the leaders of the parish council, whatever, have to stand up and say, okay, look, here's our reality. Or you, you know, look around the pews, you see our reality. There's nobody under 40 here. Or, uh, you know, the group is uh, shrunk of people who are coming. Or we all know a friend who, you know, came a long time ago and now no longer comes. So we all know our reality. And I need to call you guys into your baptismal promise to help us figure out how we are going to reverse this. So that's the first thing, call. And then, you know, to me, uh, along with that is... Now, how do, we, how do we incarnate, so to speak, that in everybody's life? You know, because what, what folks are going to hear is, okay, fine, I get that. It looks like there's enough ushers and people to do the collection and there are enough readers. They are going to 
think of the the way the church runs now or the way the parish runs now and what might not have the intuitive imagination to understand well what the heck is a guy asking me to do so the next thing is to kind of imagine what those opportunities might be you know what are the leadership roles people could play and of course and people have all kinds of gifts you know there's one uh kid who understands what how what kids will relate to you know and maybe they're the ones who can help us say this is how we reach out to young adults and there's uh somebody else who uh you know just is is extroverted enough to walk up to people who seem to be new in the church and say hello to them. And there's somebody else who's willing to go through the list of people on the parish roles who no longer show up and actually give them a call, you know, and there's somebody else who's willing to lead a, you know, a small prayer group and so on and so on. So the second, so the first part of the uh, problem to me is, uh, yes, we articulate the call. And then the second part of the challenge is now we're going to figure out how to tap folks gifts and willingness and courage and so on so chris your, your most recent book is called uh, make today matter 10 habits for a better life can you tell me a little bit about it remember i, I said earlier on that most of what i've written has not been about the church explicitly, you know, how we can improve our witness, but rather, uh, you know, about how folks, whatever their walk of life might learn from uh, the various spiritual traditions, especially my own Catholic tradition. And uh, to me, often a big challenge of modern life is not so much that we don't know what kind of people we want to be, people, and they have some vague idea of what that means. But, you know, modern life is so chaotic that just floating along in this river of email, meeting, text, phone call, and I kind of lose track of who I want to be. And um, so Make Today Matter, in a way, it tries to reduce some of uh, uh, values and ideas that would be uh, very, very deeply implanted for, for those of us who are Christians and Catholic and express and turn them into habits that might help folks in a 24 hour by 24 hour day by day basis to be who they would like like to be so it's really focused on helping us as in as, as individuals uh, to, to embrace those sort of patterns in life that can then help us grow i Absolutely. love that. that that's yeah. so exciting uh so so chris if people want to learn more about you and your thoughts obviously you've got a number of books out there and and we would be happy to, to see people buy them and, and to, to engage in your material are there other ways that they can find you uh, yeah, so uh, I, I'm pretty easy to find. I mean, I have my, uh, the website I have, uh, the author website is chrislowney.com. I'm always happy to hear from folks who uh, want to, um, uh, you know, want to interact on any of the ideas we've spoken about or anything else. Um, and, um, uh, you know, the, the books I've written are pretty easily available on uh, just by Googling my name on Amazon. There aren't that many Chris Lowney's in the world. So <laughs> my books tend to come up and I'm at Chris Lowney on Twitter. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm perfectly happy if, if folks want to buy things I've written. Uh, but I also don't mind and nobody's giving me a plug or nobody's paying me to do this to say uh, I've always also really enjoyed Divine Renovation. And if they spend their first $10 buying a copy of Divine Renovation instead of my thing, that's OK, too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so very much for being with us, Chris. It was a real pleasure to have you, you with us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure.
And so if you've been able to join us and, and hung in uh, through, through the, throughout this episode, we look forward to seeing you again next week. And perhaps you'll feel inspired to share this podcast uh, with, with someone you know, whether they're from your parish, perhaps your family or a friend, uh, as we try and continue to expand the reach of, of this ministry and, and hopefully inspire and equip people to help move their parishes from maintenance to mission. Thank you so much for being with us. We look forward to seeing you again next week. God bless. God bless.